with the roar of its motor and airplane appears and dumps out confetti while everyone cheers. And that makes a story that's really not bad, but it still could be better. Suppose that I add a Chinese man who eats with sticks, a big magician doing tricks, a 10-foot beard that needs a comb. No time for more. I'm almost home. The estate for Dr. Zeus has made a public call. It'll keep publishing his books, but it won't publish them all. Six different titles will no longer be dispersed. Is it a reasonable reaction or cancel culture at its worst? (laughs) I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail... Tonight, conservatives blaming cancel culture after Dr. Seuss Enterprises announced six of the famed author's books will no longer be published because of offensive imagery. If a person dressed in blackface makeup at a party 20 years ago, I don't think they should be judged strictly by the standards of today. Dana, I do not like the treatment of Dr. Seuss. I don't like it in a house with a mouse. I don't like it with a box with a fox. I don't like it here or there. (laughs) Bill Hammer, I don't like this anywhere. They need to get off the hypocritical beaches. Have you not heard of the book about the sneeches? I mean, come on. (laughs) It's very much a 21st century issue. A universally beloved figure produced some work in his lifetime, which by today's standards isn't really okay. Dr. Seuss's estate is, of its own volition, pulling six of the author's books from print, saying they portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong and contain racist and insensitive imagery. And this call has been polarising. Critics say it shows a lack of understanding of the past and art which is produced in bygone eras and reflected society at that point in time. Others say racism is racism. Pulling a children's book which showcases racial stereotypes is a no-brainer. Juliet Moses is a lawyer and writer and spokesperson for the Jewish Council of New Zealand. She talks and writes a lot about casual anti-Semitism in everyday language and also in great works gone by like Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice and Charles Dickens' Oliver Twist. In February, she wrote a piece for the Australian edition of The Spectator magazine looking at the separate but related issue of problematic artists, people like Roman Polanski or Roald Dahl, who produced really excellent art but also did really bad things or held abhorrent personal beliefs. I began by asking her whether Dr Seuss has been a big part of her life. Very much so as I was growing up, but actually I remember it more in relation to my children. Hmm. They were big fans. My older son in particular, he his favourite toy, you know, kids usually have a sort of toy that they're very attached to, a soft toy or whatever. His was a cat in the hat. Hmm. Um, and he's still got it. He's 17 now. He's still got it in his wardrobe somewhere. That's cute that he yeah. still has it. Yeah. Brings it out every now and then. Yeah. So. <laughs> when you first heard about this story, well, I don't know, what were the circumstances of it? I mean, I just saw a headline. I I saw a headline in a newspaper and I saw it and my heart sort of fell and I was like, oh dear. Yeah. It's happening to Dr. Seuss Another one, yeah. Yeah. How did you find out about it? Uh, Similar. I think I saw a headline and my immediate reaction was, oh God, another victim of 
cancel culture. I know, you know, it's a very overused term and I'm sure we'll get into it, but that was my first reaction because I think I have this nostalgia associated with him, as I'm sure most people do. I felt pretty, you know, crestfallen. Has your view changed? It's certainly become more equivocal now that I've read about him and um, some of the issues with some of his books. Yeah, Take me through that then. Take me through that kind of process. So you read the headline in the first place, yeah. your heart falls, yeah. oh God, it's happening yeah. to Dr. Seuss now, who are they yeah. going to come for next? Exactly. Then you start reading about the details of what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. presumably. Mm-hmm. Where do things go from there? You know, I started delving into, okay, what are the specific issues here? The latest round of a racial reckoning is now reaching into children's literature involving the world-famous Dr. Seuss. The organization that controls his legacy has decided to stop publishing six of the author's books because of racist and insensitive imagery. And the thing that I saw on Mulberry Street has a Chinaman who eats with sticks. Here's the African island of Yurka. And you can see the caricature of the two African men who, I mean, they're not only drawn in caricature, but they're made to look a lot like the bird, you know, which, which further makes a connection between them and animals. The way Asians are depicted in And to Think I Saw It on Mulberry Street, the caricatures of Middle Easterners in Scrambled Eggs Super, and On Beyond Zebra, and Inuits in McGilligot's Pool, and Africans called Pygmies in The Cat's Quizzer. I read a bit about the fact that in his past, um, particularly when he was at Dartmouth College, he displayed some racist attitudes in cartoons that he drew and other things. And I thought, okay, that's in his past. He was a student then. You know, that doesn't affect the the books that, you know, that we ultimately all sort of love him for. So then you sort of look at the you know, what the issues are with those books, and in particular with the six uh, that won't be published anymore. And there is some imagery in those books that would not be acceptable if it was published today, um, or it wouldn't be published today. And so then I grapple with this whole thing of, okay, society has evolved. Most people born in 1904 would have had some racist ideas. How do we deal with ideas from the past that are not acceptable today without kind of expunging them from history? And how do we acknowledge that we have evolved over time? You wrote a piece for The Spectator back in February. This was this was looking at the idea, your piece was looking at the idea of what we do when, quote-unquote, bad people produce good art. Yes, or when people who produce good art turn out to be "quote unquote" bad people, yeah. it strikes me. Strikes me that this actually is a very different situation. Correct. So my spectator piece was really about how do you or can you separate the art from the artist? Yeah. So where the art in itself is not, you know, in quotation marks, problematic, but the artist, for example, had or has some controversial or objectionable views or has committed a crime, for example. So uh, Roald Dahl was an example I I gave in The Spectator because he was a virulent anti-Semite by his own uh, admission, but that's not reflected in his books. So that was an example of that kind of person. Yes, and so this is where the person's views, when we're talking about Dr Seuss, actually are reflected in his art.
So what do you think about the decision to stop publishing these six books? Um, I think the first point to note is that, you know, there's all this outrage about, oh, my God, it's cancel culture. And, as you know, that was my first reaction. But, of course, it's his estate making that decision Mm. themselves. The company that manages the catalogue for Dr Zeus has announced it's going to or it won't continue publishing six of his titles because they contain racist or insensitive imagery. Of course, there are now like plenty of people who say that this is an open shut case of books being banned. It's not. No censor has stepped in and said that children can't read Dr. Zeus titles. There isn't a Zeusian bonfire being lit outside of Wellington's poor public library. No. They're just going to not continue to publish a few of his books. So I think that is quite different or a bit different. It may be that they reached that decision because of public pressure. And what I have read, which I actually wasn't aware of, is that there has been for quite a few years questions over Dr. Seuss and some of his imagery and stuff. Yeah, exactly. These issues have actually been popping up in appraisals of Dr. Seuss's work for decades, but a lot of that has focused on his work as a political cartoonist. During the Second World War, Dr. Seuss worked as the chief editorial cartoonist for the New York magazine PM. Essentially, he was turning his hand to pro-America wartime propaganda. Much of his work mocked and pilloried Nazi Germany or fascist Italy, but it also portrayed Japanese and Japanese-American people in what you can only describe as a racist way. Exaggerated, grotesque facial features, mocking accents and so on. And hey, you know, the political cartoons, they have a serious message. And while these were created in a specific set of circumstances, it's fair to look back and critically analyse them now. But now that critical lens is being applied to his children's books too. Serious articles published in academic journals argue that Horton Hears a Who is a white saviour parable, that the cat in the hat is a metaphor for a dehumanised black man. So is there a point where this hyper-academic, layered analysis starts wearing a bit thin? I think there's also the point that at this stage, it's just six books. He had a huge amount of work. Um, he was really quite prolific. You know, if they were going to wipe all his books and stop publishing them, then I think, you know, that would be very serious. It's not. It's six books with particular images in those books that are considered to be offensive. There's also the issue, and I've thought about this because I, I generally I prefer not censoring things or banning things or removing them from platforms or whatever, but contextualising them instead. So, you know, maybe putting a warning on it or a little explanation that actually things have evolved since then and, you know, this might have been considered acceptable back then, but it isn't now. And, you know, why? So sort of using it as an educative tool. The difference here, of course, is that these books are for kids, Mm. and so it's a bit harder to get that through, you know, quite complicated ideas through to children. Um, And you could say, oh, you can rely on the, you know, the teachers or the parents or whatever to do that, but I'm not sure that that's that's the full answer. So I'm really waxing and waning on this one. Um, I... I haven't actually finally decided, to be honest, what I, what I think the answer is. But, I, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's the estate's decision. 
I mean, I found it very interesting as well what you said about that you're waxing and waning and you haven't really come to a definitive conclusion on this because it kind of implies that people feel pressured to come to a conclusion on it, to see the world in a black or white kind That's of situation. That's right, and, and I, I, I'm trying very hard not to do that because, I, you know, I think there's two ends of the spectrum on this cancel culture thing. The one end, there are people who say there's no such thing as cancel culture. It's just the consequences of, you know, racism, and it's a correction in society that needs to happen. There are people at the other end who basically say, Everything, every decision to not publish or not give a platform to someone or whatever is cancel culture. I, I sort of try and be somewhere in the middle on that continuum. So I think you do have to look at it case by case, issue by issue. What were the racist images here? Were they racist? Or, you know, in my view, were they racist? Or could they give bad ideas to children or whatever? Is there another way to deal with those without removing them completely from publication? There's a lot of nuance, and I don't think there's ever going to be a very simple answer for it. Dr. Seuss's birthday can no longer be touted on Read Across America Day because a study said the author's work is, quote, filled with Orientalism, anti-blackness, and white supremacy. Now, I grew up reading Dr. Seuss books. You grew up reading Dr. Seuss books. Everybody grew up reading Dr. Seuss books. Did it make you more racist to read a Dr. Seuss book? Did it ever even occur to you? that race was an element of Dr. Seuss books until I just said this one second ago? Of course not. Because no one, no one is actually outraged about this. There, is no, there are no human beings who read Dr. Seuss books and are actually angry at them. All of this is just about signaling. It is about setting new standards, hoops for people to jump through. You wrote in your spectator piece, there's a very nice line, I'm going to quote you to yourself here, which is always fun. <laughs> I like that. Individuals should be trusted to weigh the artistic merits against the perceived moral failings of the artist mm. and determine their relationship with the art, which is an entirely subjective and complex process, which is a really interesting point. I guess complicated a little bit by the fact that, as you pointed out, that these are children's books. Exactly. Because if, if they weren't, that would actually probably be my answer. Individual autonomy should prevail. Uh, we should let each person look at the book, you know, adult, look at the book and decide you know, I'm I'm a person. I was I was just asked last week about there are a whole a whole lot of books on Mighty Ape that are Holocaust denial books, hideous books, really awful. And I was asked whether I thought they should be banned or removed from publication. And I said, well, it's up to the it's up to Mighty Ape itself to consider its reputation, what it wants to do. But at the very least. It should sort of have a link to other books that counter that or to put a warning on it. But I certainly don't think the book should be banned for sale. You don't? So, no, I don't. So I'm a person who does favour individual autonomy and freedom of speech and education. You were speaking before about the fact that there are Holocaust denying books. Uh, and we should say this is relevant because you're a spokesperson for the Jewish Council yes. of New Zealand. You yep. often talk about anti-Semitism in the media. Yep. I mean, anti-Semitism is a trope that comes up uh, all the time mm-hmm. in literature of the past. The Merchant of Venice is a good example. Oliver Twist yep. is another good example. Mm-hmm. If the estate of William Shakespeare or the estate of Charles Dickens were to come out and say, because of these stereotypes, we are going to stop printing The Merchant of Venice or we are going to stop printing Oliver Twist, what would you think about that? Oh, look, I don't think I'd agree with it. Mm. Um, And again, I think maybe it comes down to, even though it wasn't a different context in my spectator piece, again, it's that weighing process. And these are major works of art from 
major artists. You know, Charles Dickens, Shakespeare. Um, I would hate to see their any of their work lost and, and not performed or not published or whatever. What if they weren't major works? <laughs> what if they were just suppose, inconsequential? Yeah, yeah, In yeah, good question. Uh, well, it still means that part of their body of work goes missing and perhaps they're not so well known or whatever, but they might be studied or, ha- you know, have some other kind of value. No, I don't, I don't think I, I would want to see them gone. It is time for me to use the prop. The prop for anyone listening to this is a copy of On Beyond Zebra by Dr. Seuss, which is one of the six books. Um, could you just open that up to the marked page? Mm-hmm. That is the page that means that that book will no longer be yeah. printed. This is quality radio, obviously. <laughs> I cannot see how that illustration would ignite the fire of racism in anybody. No. And I don't know whether that's the test that you should apply for that, but do you, do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, I do. Um, is it is it supposed to be, or has it been described as being an anti-Arab or anti-Asian or sort of an Orientalist image? I think the reasoning behind it, and we should say the estate hasn't actually explained what right. exactly is racist about or, or is, is objectionable in, in each of these books, but my understanding of it is that it's reinforcing the stereotypes that Arabic people yes. ride camels. Yes, right. Yes, and you can kind of see it as a, a camel, sort of, in a Dr. Seuss kind of way. Uh, I mean, yeah, look, I would not, I do not think, to me that does not look like a racist image. Again, I don't really, you have to be careful because exactly, I'm not do, Arab. Yeah. I don't want to speak for Arab people about how they might find it. To me, it does not jump out at me as being such an image. I think you do have to look pretty hard for it. Looney Tunes, the cartoon series, has taken the step of, before objectionable episodes, they have a disclaimer. Hey, I'm Whoopi Goldberg, and welcome to the Tom and Jerry Spotlight Collection. Now, the Tom and Jerry episodes included in this collection and the outrageous brand of humor shown here comes to us from a time when racial and ethnic differences were caricatured in the name of entertainment. Now, while humor may have been the intent of such caricatures, they also had the effect of revealing society's unfair and hurtful representations of people of color, women, and ethnic groups. Now, some of the cartoons here reflect prejudices that were common in American society, especially when it came to racial and ethnic groups. Now, these prejudices were wrong then, and they are certainly wrong today. I wonder, actually, whether maybe this will happen with these books. I mean, these are children's books, but maybe they morph to being an example of how prejudices even crept into children's literature. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good idea. I think if you can turn it into it's something that's educational, I think that's great because then, you know, you haven't lost or got rid of the history and you've learned how things have evolved to where we are today. So, I, you know, I think that's a great way of doing it. But, of course, you have to be able to trust the audience to understand that and and to sort of contextualise it. And, uh, you know, I think there is a lack of trust for a lot of audiences these days. 
just finally on this, I mean, I asked you at the beginning about whether you were a big Dr. Seuss fan. You talked about how you read Dr. Seuss, um, but, but you know, maybe more as a, as a parent and mm. seeing what a big part of your kids' lives Dr. Seuss's work has been. As you have read about this and thought about this, has your view of Dr. Seuss changed? It's changed in the sense that I understand more about the man and the complex man that he was. And I think that's really the point. We are all complex people. You used the word before, reductive, and I think that's part of the problem with where we are at today. We look at things very reductively. It's black or white. There's no room for nuance. Every human being is flawed. We forget that at our peril. I do think, you know, today we are trying to hold people to standards that are almost impossible to, to maintain or achieve. And, you know, more and more of us fall foul of those standards and suffer the consequences. And I do think that's a problem. I think we have to remember every person is an individual, you know, and see them as an individual, see them as having dignity and autonomy and that you generally, well, always really evolve as a human being. And that's clearly what he did. And he was probably even a bit inconsistent at times in his views. So he might have been racist um, in some ways uh, with his illustrations at the same time that he was also promulgating these anti-racist views. He, he was a complex person with contradictions, like we all are. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Juliet Moses. Kaki te ano.